Fuck the fuckers. So, so when the revolution took place, it was called the Spring of mm, Freedom. Um, of course, it was not any spring for the supporters of the monarchy. Like a lot of them had to leave the country. A lot of like the generals of the army were like instantly like getting like executed like nights after the victory of the revolution. Um, It was like a relatively like for a short period of time, let's say for like six months, one year, two years, it depends about whom we are talking, about which people we are talking. It's a mm, sort of like a free atmosphere and then uh, the Islamists who have like affirming um, <coughs> uh, their grasp to the power, they, they start to like uh, eliminating uh, the other partners which are not so welcome anymore because that project that they were taking part in is already done and this is a new project, they are not sharing it with anyone, which kind of makes sense. Um, so first, um, they kicked out like uh, the constitutionalists and then as they were, they, they started like uh, fighting with le the leftists way before that they never shared the power with the leftists. Le like the mainstream leftists are really dreaming to be like a part of like this uh, and new government. Um, fortunately, they never managed to. Um, and the, the moment which probably like everything gets lost are probably two moments. First, like um, occupying the American embassy, which led to like a rise of this uh, radical Shia politics and the second one is um, the war with Iraq which um, I mean is known as like the, like the longest classical war of the 20th century and then like in the 80s as like the country is like using all its resources for this war Hundreds of thousands of people are getting killed. A lot of cities are getting like uh, bombed and stuff. Uh, by the end of this decade, it's kind of like the new the new face of Islamic Republic uh, manages to um, show itself. We go back to 1989. Very like important stuff. They all um, happen here. So I think, uh, actually in 88, the war with Iraq finally ends. And then they change the constitution a little bit, but that a little bit of changing the constitution was very important because they expanded uh, the uh, power of the supreme leader uh, a lot. And as the term like Islamic Republic may sound like a bit like this duality of these two words may sound a bit like paradoxical. There's also like two different like positions in this political systems, the supreme leader and the president. Uh, 
which like historically has have been like contradicting a lot. So supreme leader, it's not, but it's technically like somebody ch is chosen as a supreme leader and it's gonna be supreme leader till he dies. But the president is like two terms, each term like four years, technically. Um, and after that, <coughs> uh, Khomeini, the founder of the revolution dies, Khamenei, they are similar names, not also quite similar characters. Uh, Khamenei becomes the new uh, uh, leader who was, who was the president back then in the time of Khomeini. And Rafsanjani, who was the speaker of the parliament, becomes a prime minister and technically for the few years uh, till Khamenei starts like, to get to know his like, constitutional powers and how he can use them to be like the most influential person in Iran. Uh, he, the, the first thing that he started to do was like a series of like dramatic um, economical reforms. Yeah, probably advised by IMF, uh, which resulted into like uh, devaluation of currency, m massive, um, um, economical turmoil and also like uh, like a few uprisings in 93-94 in two cities in at least two cities uh, in Iran which resulted in like a few hundred of people got killed but his bad time went also worse because uh, it like during his second term especially like the international crisis took place between like Iranian regime and the Europeans as uh, the Iranians who were like very actively uh, terrorizing like the activists and the writers and any, any sort of like dissident that you can imagine. Uh, they sort of like to continue this project also in Europe, even here in Berlin. Um, so at some point, uh, <coughs> European countries, they all uh, closed the embassies and, and left the country. It is the time <coughs> in 1997 that Khatami, the reformist president, comes to power. Um, his first like agenda is like normalizing um, the relations with the West. He was quite successful in that. Probably he could be much more successful if he could be like. Uh, also like trying to normalize the relationship with the, with America, but he couldn't because the Supreme Leader was very much against it. In order not to meet like Bill Clinton, it's a famous story that once he locked himself into the United Nations in the toilet for like a few minutes till he knows that like, okay, Clinton is gone and now I can come and I'm sure that we don't meet. I, if I shake hand when I go back, it's gonna go crazy. Um, and of course, uh, with like <coughs> this, like um, reformist, like a bit more like socially, politically, like a bit more liberal, uh, he managed like to continue like these economical reforms as, as much as he could. But of course, that like <coughs> central um, forces who were like holding the power in Iran, they blocked him. And I mean, he was president for eight years. The last six years was kind of like meaningless. 
Um, so in 2005, <coughs> Ahmadinejad uh, became president. But before Ahmadinejad became president, it's very good to write your materials, you see. Another thing happened like a few months before Ahmadinejad becomes president, which I think is a very important thing. According to the 44th article of the Iranian constitution, the economy is divided into three branches, the public, private, and the cooperative. And like most of like <coughs> the modern industries, banking, I don't know, insurance, you name it, that they, they, should, they should be public owned. They cannot be privatized. Khamenei, in an act which is obviously illegal, uh, <coughs> ordered a new interpretation of this article, and it's after that that like the, the privatization of this um, um, sectors of the economy started to uh, follow up. If like two months after that, uh, Ahmadinejad became the president. And uh, it's an interesting period of time because at the same time that like he's pursuing like his foreign policy of like uh, isolationism in like when it's coming like to the West and also like kind of like like at the beginning like expansionism like in 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 the Middle East. Um, Iran um, put like a very firm stand when it came like to the atomic uh, plan, which you may uh, you may heard of. It's still going on this story after twenty years or something. Um, <coughs> so it's it's the era that uh, <coughs> after this new interpretation of the forty fourth article of the constitution that uh, there isn't new um, economical force also rising in the country. It took like a few years till it became like the main blockade of uh, the Iranian um, economical spectrum, and that is the Revolutionary Guard, which is like the army, but not exactly the army, but the real army. So they, they were the ones who had the money, that they had the ability like to fund massive projects that like, of course, like the teeny tiny private sector of Iran was not capable of uh, financing. And he, <coughs> Ahmadinejad, uh, also started like this process of like, like dramatic oil prices, like increasing the oil prices. We couldn't come to the, like, I thought they increased like the first time 10 times, or maybe five times, I'm not pretty sure, but it was like very dramatic like increase and also uh, like reducing like other like subsidies, yes, <coughs> in order like to uh, continue like his like populist agenda, he started like to give like a little bit bit of money like back uh, to like the poor people, which resulted <coughs> in like further devaluation of like the currency. And when I say devaluation, guys, I'm talking about real devaluation. So in the course of 41 years. Like when the revolution took place, each dollar was seven X. In in this case, X is Toman. Now that I'm talking to you, each dollar is 
16,000. Like 15 years ago, it was like a thousand. Like it was a thousand for like a decade or so before Ahmadinejad came to power. So, yes, it's a crazy world. Um, but another thing happens during the time of Ahmadinejad, which is also worth, worth noticing, and I think is very important, that <coughs> the end of the presidency of Khatami was not only like. Mm, important for Mr. Khatami, but it was also important for like the idea of like reformism in um, the Iranian society. Now that I'm talking to you in 2020, it looks like this is like this political perspective is like completely dead from both sides. Um, but 2005 is exactly like the year which not only after like a decade or technically more, you see like the rise of uh, the like leftist student movements in like Iranian um, universities. You, you also see like the first like uh, independent worker unions form being formed in the country. Of course, they were like uh, harshly like uh, oppressed by the regime. They were trying to like manipulate the agenda like uh, deceiving a group, I don't know, like uh, f forcing like another group out of the country or whatever. But it started like <coughs> um, a series of events in which I think the society started like to try out and to learn like alternative um, choices other than like the, re like the reformist agenda. Uh, which was about okay, we we take part in the elections and then we go and we try because they tried it like a few times during the Khatami government and also during the Rouhani, the current president. And the things only get worse. So I think you can go now. So yeah. we know what is the story. Okay. Yep. So. One thing I want to point out, um, also about reformism in Iran, um, just highlighted that uh, the reformist government came to power after some years of liberalization of the economy in Iran. So after Iran-Iraq war, again, as Ruzi said, like the, the economy of Iran started to open up to the world economy and follow the, the, the recommendations by IMF and World Bank. But, uh, and of course, you can see the effect of such liberalization would, uh, would have its toll on the society and also on the population. And uh, of course, we had also the growing um, um, population of the youth and the students and growing consciousness on the side of the women and also workers. So with uh, the cries of the people increasing, the, the state could not continue as uh, it was doing during the war. So inside the body of the state, this alternative was proposed to people, which was called reformism. And the reformists came with this agenda 
that we will give social freedom and we will increase the social freedoms in the society, but without any economic promises, without any, like, uh, taking care of the poverty or, like, their, their, their most slogans were freedom it's and social freedom. Of their, like, proposals, like, economy. Like exactly. Never economic. So... So after uh, the reformists came to power, still it was an integrating force for the government and it was a strength for the state to have a branch. Uh, like, of course, there was a competition between conservatives and reformists, but reformists served as an integrating force to integrate part of the cries of the population transform it to agenda and plans in the government so that, you know, like it, it, it would be a coping mechanism for the state. But with the, with the uh, Khatami's presidency, it turned out after several years that, uh, that uh, reformists cannot, uh, cannot do anything even in terms of social freedom. So yes, there were some social freedoms were given. Those social freedoms helped the students to organize themselves better, the women to organize themselves better, also workers, but it was never enough to do anything. So it was never enough to run an agenda like for women to get more rights, for workers to improve their situation, for students to, to get freedom of speech, so it was or for the media, so it was never enough for doing any of those plans, but it was enough to, 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 to make a voice. So, and also economic situation and the liberalization of the economy, privatization uh, still continued as fast as before and even maybe faster. So, with the rise of Ahmadinejad already, all hopes for reformism was gone, so, um, like many of the, the, the ones who voted for the reformists didn't go, sanction the, the elections or didn't go to vote. And, um, and I think after Ahmadinejad, the, the strength of the Islamic Republic to, to integrate part of the population and give them incentives to conform to this political form was gone. So, Ahmadinejad was not only a disaster for the society, it was a dis disaster for the state itself. It kind of showed the, the, the beginning of the crisis of the idea of Islamic Republic in general. So I, I want to come the, to the very recent events because I think some of us are here for that. And, and I want to refer to the Doctrine of Shock by Naomi Klein that uh, a neoliberal state governs by disaster, by managing disaster and not preventing it. So by shocking the subjects and not interacting with them, they, they would control uh, like the neoliberal no states. So in Iran, the, the, in the last few months, increase of the price of the gas, tripling the price of the gas, Soleimani's assassination by United States, Iran missile attack in Iraq against US bases. Lastly, actually, is the news maybe you don't know, coronavirus is spreading in Iran. Iran became the second country infected by coronavirus. So, 
consequent series of shock, which according to a friend of me in Iran, is much beyond the, the theory of disaster capitalism. It's like a shock and then another shock and then another shock and like there is no even time to think of what is happening, you know. So in the last two years, we had two massive movements in Iran. One in January 2018 and one in November 2019. And, um, and the, the background of these movements is very interesting because the, these kind of movements that's ha that's, that has happened in the last two years are kind of new in their forms and also in their social structure and social class um, backgrounds. So the background of the recent workers' strikes and mass movements are years of the privatization, deprivation, and also no liberalization of the economy in Iran. So we can we can uh, confirm and we can we can be sure that uh, I mean because this is a discussion if we can talk about no liberalism in Iran because it's it's such a detached country from the rest of the world and. Like its borders are closed, its politics is so different, you know, like it, it has a lot of um, state controlled industries still and um, or at least, you know, you can say it is a mafia economy, not a neoliberal economy. economy. But with the policies of the state and the way the, the, the privatiz privatization was run in the country and the way the public properties were massively destroyed in the country, we can be sure that, I mean, this is what many of the leftists now in Iran believe, is that no liberal context exists in Iran, and uh, it offers an ambivalent order, like Islamic Republic opposes politically what it endorses economically. So economically, it is conforming to the world capitalist, capitalism and Politically, it doesn't. So Iranian government after the war with Iraq and um, it was very much collaborating with the, with the many countries around the world. And also to enhance this collaboration, it started, as I said, follow the World Bank and IMF. So from 2004, again, if we go back, like, the, the ending of the Khatami's, the reformist president's term, the effect of pri privatization was obvious on workers' income and their job security. Workers' strike started to take momentum, but from the January 2018 until now, working strikes happen on a daily basis. Independent workers' union started to form, and they were also being attacked on a daily basis in Iran. Uh, and... Um, it's important to mention that in Iran, the only legitimate body, uh, like um, uh, an institution that can represent the workers is the Islamic Workers' Union, which are regulated by the state. So, um, so in, in the case of Iran, we can, we can say we have a neoliberal economy now in the, in the uh, last decade. We have a neoliberal economy, but not the state appropriate to the form of economy. 
So Iranian state is not able to integrate parts of the dissatisfaction into a political body. And for the lack of this ability, it is moving from a totalitarian state to become a fascistic state because it can only govern by controlling deaths rather than controlling lives. So last time, in November 2019, when the movement happened in response to the increase in the fuel pr price, another shock on the people that didn't anymore work on them as, we, as was expected. So, um, I mean, the idea of shock therapy is that to do it so fast that people would not how to react. And that didn't happen in Iran. Many people came to the streets in, in cities all around Iran and shouting against the very existence of the Islamic Republic and not just for the price of the oil. So I want to say some observations about this last movement in Iran, which I think would be interesting. Uh, the time interval with, between the movements in Iran is reducing. So the last massive movement in Iran before the uh, 2018 movement was 2009. And uh, then we had the 2018 and then again 2019. So the, no, uh, the time interval is reducing, but the intensity and violence of the state to repress these movements is increasing. So that alone shows that the state has no capacity or capability to stop the movement. The last movement, 1,500, more than 1,500 people are told to be killed. I mean, is reported that are killed. And it is in the course of less than uh, like few days, less than a week, like half a week. So. Um, this is a number, I mean, numbers don't say much to us, like 1,500 how many lives, but, but uh, to, to have an idea of how repressive that can be, like compare it to the revolutions that happened in the decade before in the, in the, in the Arab countries, like also the countries that Iranian regime is designing their security uh, apparatuses, like Syria, like Iraq, like Lebanon, and like, you know, like Egypt even. So in Egypt, during the course of the revolution, less than 1,000 people got killed. The whole revolution of Egypt was done by less than 1,000. Of course, a lot of people are still, but um, the, the Syrian revolution in the first year from March 2011 until the end, like uh, it's is reported by the observatory um, human rights observatory of syria that from the opposition forces uh, like less than 1000 again were were killed in iraq during the courses of um, weeks of re uh, uprisings in the recently like uh, it was the most repressive uh, like measures that the government was doing against the protesters during the course of like 16 weeks, maybe more than uh, like around 600 people were killed. And uh, still these numbers are a lot, you know, like these numbers are still like showing the numbers of lives that are lost. But um, it seems that Iranian government was killing and designing these apparatuses outside, especially in Iraq, in Syria, to stop the, the crisis to come in the mainland, in its own borders. So it was 
protecting itself from outside the country. And then finally the crisis came and they, they are doing the most repressive measures against the people. So, so this is the first observation that though the violence is increasing, the uprising are happening. So the November movement in Iran, the second observation is that the November movement as also the January 2018 movement both of them started from the margins, the cities all around the country, smaller cities, to the bigger cities, to the centers. So it had a, it had a totally decentralized uh, form. Um, another observation is that this movement included all sorts of marginalized social classes from ethnic uh, minorities to, to worker classes, to students, to women. So all kind of uh, social classes uh, came to the streets, from all kind of them came to the streets. So, and there were a diversity of political cries for, for, against the government. Also, it is important to know that it was a very heterogeneous movement and very agile, very, in, in its structure, it was very flexible because it didn't have leadership and it didn't have a head. And um, it, it really refers to the, I mean, this, this, this relates to the fact that in Iran, like um, any face, any, any person or any organization that becomes the face of a movement would be attacked and uh, totally sanctioned by the government. So the, the result of these repressive measures has become that uh, there are very creative forms of self-organizations and um, political movements are being experimented by people. And we as observers, as external observers, even cannot uh, be sure what's happening in there, who is who, who is uh, organizing what. And this is, this is a strength for a movement, not a weakness, because if I, as an intellectual or academician, cannot say that, say what's happening in there, for sure the governments would not be able to know. So, because we know that academicians are most often the, the tools for the state to, to govern people, unfortunately. So, good that we don't know. And one another observation is that the number of women in the movement was, was considerable, but like the other movements in Iran, is like the number of women are, are always considerable. But this time it was to the extent that, especially because the movement went violent and still the women were existing in the first front and, and also like very actively organizing uh, people in, on the street, the, the government started to make a propaganda report on the movement and showed pictures of women in the first lines or making a speech or organizing people. And the report claimed that these women are trained and dispatched by the foreign enemies of the country. So you can already see that how, how they, they are afraid of women, most importantly. They said women were the leaders of this movement, which is, both showing, proving that how women's presence was strong, 
strong and also how the government is so afraid of women. So the, the last observation is that the movement happened at the same time that Iraq and Lebanon were rising against their governments and also against the Iranian and foreign intervention. So this simultaneously provided the potential to go beyond national cries and see the potential of regional alliances between working and marginalized classes. So all of them against the neoliberalism and corruption politics imposed upon them. So what, what are the biggest threats to this movement? I, I will say very shortly because I think I'm taking so much time, yes? Okay. Okay, so the, there are two, two very important threats against this movement. One, one of course, is the repress, repressive, I mean, the movement is finished, but it, uh, there are prospects of it continuing. So uh, the, the first thing is that the repression, uh, the repressive measures of the government is uh, still continuing by the arrest of the, the, the activists and also like, um, uh, the, the very heavy sentences against the ones who were arrested during the movement, even like um, execution sentence for a few of them already are, uh, are, are, are given. So, um, so one, one side is that, but the other side is that uh, there are a lot of fears, especially on the side of the leftists and left activists in the movement that uh, the movement is being appropriated by the US and the opposition supported by the Western countries. So uh, immediately after the movement started, the Trump government made the announcement that sanctions are becoming effective and we, we, we finally are reaching our point to, to make a regime change in Iran. And the opposition groups such as monarchists and mujahideen, there exists still monarchist uh, opposition groups outside Iran, of course, in exile. And they're supported by the um, several Western countries. I mean, they get fundings and they, they make coalitions. And Mujahideen also is like an Islamist communist force, opposition in exile also, because Islamic Republic repressed them. So they, they started to talk on behalf of the movement. It is while in November movement, there were hardly any slogans shouted in support of this opposition in exile, but these are the oppositions that are getting the support from the Western countries and making coalitions. So in case of a bigger crisis in Iran and the collapse of the regime, they would be the force that come and make a government. So from here, I would, I would like to come to, ex again, refer to this anti-imperialism discourse that we started our talk with, like, how in Iranian revolution, a kind of anti-imperialism um, ideology united different political fronts and uh, could bring them together. And uh, though it got the content of Islam, but this anti-imperialism was a very important, itself an important discourse. It could take other forms, but, um, so, and we refer to the mistake, mistake that Foucault did actually in terms of interpreting Iranian revolution. So again, 
like after the no November movement, what happened is the, another rise in the anti-imperialism discourse. How? By the assassination of Qasem Soleimani, the, the Iranian com commander of the Quds army, a very important branch of uh, Iranian army that is active outside the country, like in the region. So when US assassinated Qasem Soleimani, it seemed to be like an imperialist power is hijacking the attention. So the international media moved from discussing the repression of November movement to discussing the possibility of war and, uh, between Iran and uh, United States. And uh, it was for the government a great chance to, um, to get away from the news of the violence that were spreading. So the anti-imperialist left who were silent during the November movement because we know part of this anti-imperialist left is still existing. I mean, of course, uh, the, the name is beautiful and we have to be all anti-imperialist, but their way of positioning uh, part of this front is that they they recognized the Iranian government and Iranian regime as an anti-imperialist force. And so on the side of regional competition between Iran and United States, they always take the side with Iran and dismiss the fact that there are a lot of movements happening in Iran against the regime. So the, and after the Soleimani was assassinated, they broke their silence and they started to talk again that imperialism has attacked against one of the very important powers of the region. So why, why these people like see Iranian state as anti-imperialist? I would go very, very fast. Of course, we know, most of us know the problem with, with this discourse, but I mean, um, I want to just mentioned that they are very, they see the politics from the point of view of the state. Their point of view is a statist, like in the sense that there is nothing outside the framework that imperialism itself has offered to them, which is like the state form of politics. So, and also this is very important because if you look at it in this uh, system, political system, international political system, which is composed of a bunch of states, like Iranian state does not, like, is, is not uh, serving as an anti-imperialist, uh, like, front. It is inside the power relation of imperialism itself. Maybe it plays sometimes the role of negating the, the, the master of this power relation, which is the United States, but is bound to this power relation, is not outside this power relation. So it would never, this anti of Iran, to be anti, is never leading to an alter to something other than this power relation. That's why it is a very false contradiction to follow, to to support Iranian state in this master and slave relationship. Mm -hmm. So um, I want to go very fast. So, um, and also these people see the anti-imperialism staging global capitalism. 
uh, sorry, they see it as a staging, as a regional competition rather than a staging global capitalism. Uh, and, um, oh my God, I have a lot to say. No, 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 it's my first page, okay. <laughs> so, good. So I want to close down by saying that what seemed to be like a tragic mistake made by Foucault that also affected his work and his, his uh, intellectual tradition in a way, not so much, but a bit, like uh, at least it had a very tragic consequence, mistakes that not only Foucault, but the leftists in Iran did by uh, making alliance with Islamists. So this tragic mistake kind of um, in the um, manner that Marx uh, uh, like quotes from Hegel that historical figures appear twice, once as tragedy and second time as farce. So we have, we have the repetition or the, the expansion of this uh, leftist, anti-imperial leftist who, who idealize a certain people, population, and also phenomenon outside of their rich and and um, and so we we see the repetition of that mistake in very farcical uh, events and positionings and uh, talks. That's that's the last thing I wanted to say. Thank you. Fuck the fuckers. <laughs>